Swear I got a couple plans, I chill with the camp. Tryna make a couple bands, I chill. Going hard, baby. Ain't nobody playing, I chill. I'm a god, but they calling me the man, I chill. Swear I got a couple plans, I chill with the camp. Tryna make a couple bands, I chill. Going hard. Ain't nobody playing, I chill. I'm a god, calling me the man, I chill. Welcome to the B Block. I am your host, Brandon Scott. Appreciate you for joining me on the podcast, man. I'm here right now because I am really, really disappointed in baseball. It's the summertime. Sports are coming back. Like it or not, believe in it, believe in it or not, sports are coming back. The NFL act like nothing ever happened. They are business as usual. We got news about the NBA last week coming back at like Disney in Orlando. And baseball can't get out of its own way. I'm a little odd for my generation and maybe even for my race. Young black men watching baseball, you don't see it as much. Young people, period, watching baseball, you don't see it as much. People, period, you don't see it as much. Watching baseball, uh, they still get the attendance numbers. They still get the revenue. But they've got fewer eyeballs on television. And... I think they're missing out on a wonderful opportunity here to be right there in the thick of it while all the sports are coming back. It's just not a good look, man. And we get news on Monday that the owners have given their latest proposal. It's a 76-game season, 75% prorated salaries. Look, man, I don't know about y'all, man, but I've gotten really bored with the details. Like, I'm on the player's side in the negotiations, and, like, as, as far as, like, who's on the right side of the argument, I think as a matter of principle, and we discussed this already on the podcast, I think as a matter of principle, the owners have been disingenuous in their negotiations as far as this argument about not having fans in the stands and the concern that that really was. Or, or, or not even the concern that it was, but like them not realizing that fans not, might not be in the stands. And then we have the possibility that fans could be in the stands in certain places. Like it just it just doesn't really seem honest. And it also seems greedy for a group that never takes a loss. Like it, it has never been, for the most part, it's never really been bad to own a professional sports team, especially one of the major in one of the major leagues the major leagues and here we are with major league baseball fighting over pennies pennies on the dollar for for the most part billions of dollars nonetheless but i read a report last week that said the difference that we're really talking about here is like 300 million dollars that's what we're talking about here. That's what we're essentially arguing over. Or the players and the owners are essentially arguing over. So let's take a look at this proposal. We're talking about 76 games, players getting 75% of their prorated salaries, $200 million postseason pool. And that's, of course, if you make the postseason. But, like, do you even care anymore at this point? That's my question. Do you even care anymore? Who gets what? How they split it up? 
Like I was one of those who thought that the principle really mattered, and I still do to a large degree. But at this point, when you see how all the other sports were able to figure it out, and I know it's different. Major League Baseball had not started its season. The other leagues were pretty much already done with their seasons or close to it. As in the case with the NFL already being done, nowhere near starting its season. And the NBA and the NHL, for the most part, being done with, like, their playoff contenders, their playoff seedings are, for the most part, decided when you go over there and look at it. They're just going to have fun with it at the end of this thing and, and make some money, you know, not lose a few hundred million dollars in local television dollars. So you see how all these other sports have been able to figure it out and you wonder what the hell is going on with Major League Baseball to why they can't get out of their own way. And and this is this is the state of Major League Baseball, how their labor negotiations are, I guess you would say, lacking in trust on both sides. And this is just the way it is like they're also in a very odd position in being pretty close to their like actual collective bargaining agreement. And it seems like neither side wants to appear vulnerable or weak or anything like that. Like, we don't care. The fans and the people don't care anymore. And they risk, like, that being the general attitude toward baseball in addition to what it already is. You know, this apathy. Like, you know, if baseball doesn't want to play, it's almost like we don't want to watch baseball anymore. And, And I mean the collective we. America doesn't want to watch baseball any more than they seem to want to play. And that's the real problem that baseball, I feel, needs to reckon with. That's the problem that baseball has to look at itself and say, do we want to go through this period where we're not relevant or where the reason why we are relevant is for bickering? It's for not knowing how to split up billions of dollars. And I really think that another opportunity that baseball is missing is that this is a compelling time in the sport. You have competitive teams in your most desirable markets. I mean, the Dodgers are have been good for, what, six or seven, eight years, or however many years they've been good. They've been going to the World Series and losing for however long. You've got the, you know, the Washington Nationals in D.C. Just won, the, uh, just won the World Series. The Yankees are good. The Houston Astros are not only good, but they gave you a scandal. They gave you something to talk about. They gave you a reason to be relevant on a national scale. They gave you a villain. I had been under the impression that Major League Baseball was accustomed to taking advantage of a scandal, of making the most of a scandal, allowing a scandal to help you recover from a crisis. Is that not what the steroid era did after the 1994 strike like baseball has been through maybe not COVID-19, but baseball has been through crisis and they haven't always managed it. Well, matter of fact, they've rarely managed it well, but at the very least they've allowed a scandal to be the PR machine and the propaganda that it can be. And no, the sign-stealing scandal with the Astros is not good for baseball. 
not good for baseball in any way, unless baseball decides that that's what they want to do, that they want to allow teams to squash to film each other from center field and send signals and 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 steal signs and things of that nature. Unless the unless baseball decides that that's what they want to be about, and it doesn't seem like like that's the case, that's not good for baseball as a sport. But rallying around a villain, the outcry, the public outrage after the fact, making the Astros public enemy number one, the team still being good, still being viable, incredible, a contender, that's worth watching. That is compelling. That is worth seeing. And they have plenty of other examples in Major League Baseball that were worth seeing. Mookie Betts in a Dodgers uniform. I'm sure people wanted to see that. Like, I I think people forget how unprecedented of a trade that somebody as good and as young as Mookie Betts could ever be traded. Like, it's almost never happened. And we were going to get to see what that was going to actually look like going from one historic franchise to another. Now, let's be clear. We're still going to get a season. We're not going to miss out on this money, right? We're still going to get a season. It's not going to be anything close to what baseball fans are probably hoping for. You probably want something closer to, you know, maybe even the 76 is being proposed, 80-something, 100. I think most fans want something closer to 100, somewhere between 80 and 100 games. That feels more like right. But it seems like you're probably going to end up getting this 50-game, 48-game possibility that was negotiated back in March between the players and the owners. Apparently, there is a clause somewhere in that agreement that the commissioner can institute this 48-game season. And so it ends up being less money for everybody, ends up being less of an experience for everybody. Major League Baseball gets to be itself the villain in comparison to the other sports that have figured out a way, that have gone out of their way to make sure everything could work. And you get to see less of the Astros. You get to see less of the Yankees. You get to see less of Mookie Betts in a Dodgers uniform which is truly unthinkable. As an Astros fan, honestly, I'm I'm bummed about it because I was looking forward to watching Alex Bregman and how he was going to respond to being one of the faces of the sign-stealing scandal. I was very interested to see how Jose Altuve was going to respond to being one of the faces of the sign-stealing scandal. I was genuinely curious to see how much Justin Verlander has in the tank. How much of Justin Verlander being Justin Verlander do you get? Is that Granky? I wanted to see Lance McCullers return from Tommy John surgery. Lance is kind of a badass if you didn't know. Like he's one of these, he's like a good dude, but he's cocky at the same time. He's really smart. Um, and, and you just can't help but respect it. You can't help respect his toughness, his grind. Even if you're even if you're not exactly down with the arrogance, you gotta respect it. 
Like, this is a guy, Lance McCullers, who I was really excited to see pitch. And truth be told, from Astros' perspective, we do not know how long we're going to have this group. Like, all the outfielders could be gone for the most part. Brantley, Reddick, is, are, are we close to the end of the George Springer experience? Which, I mean, you really hope not. How much longer is Carlos Correa wearing a Houston Astros uniform? Like, the only guys that you really can rely on being here long term, like the core guys, are Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve. Everybody else is up in the air. You think about what this window looked like for the Astros. You got to remember, they kind of started this thing a little early or like you, like you got early returns on the whole tank in and investing in the farm system and, or, you know, all you got the, you, you got the early returns on this in 2015. And then 2016 was disappointing, but we're five years into this now. How much longer is that window? And don't forget, like you can't forget how key, the trades have been, the midseason trades have been like every year, like from 2017, getting Justin Verlander, 2018, getting Gary Cole, 2019, getting Zach Grinke. Like they're steady making these moves. It's not like, it's not like everything has always been there and in place. So we don't know how much longer the Astros are going to be the Astros that we've come to know. This was a great season to find out what they still had how they were going to respond to all of this scrutiny, all this backlash. And it was going to be good for baseball too. Like truly, it was going to be good for baseball. Sign stealing, not good. The villain for sign stealing, the attention that you get from that, very good. And then to just not throw it all away because like I said, we're going to have a season. We're not throwing it all away. We're going to have a season. We're going to have a watered down season. And when October comes, We'll have the NFL and the NBA Finals. Sorry, baseball. All right. On the last podcast, we talked about what all was going on in the world, the protests, the demonstrations, Bill O'Brien's comments, Drew Brees' comments. What had not happened at that point was we didn't get, we did not have Drew Brees' apology. We did not have the collective players video that the players were able to manage or I should say the NFL social media team was able to manage behind the league's back in conjunction with the players, which is a fascinating story. And so, and we'll get to that in just a moment, but real quick on Drew Brees, like let's just point out since we did go hard on the last one, or I did go hard on the last one that Drew Brees has done pretty much everything you could ask somebody to do when they fall on the sword, when they apologize, uh, I don't question his sincerity. I do think he's sincere. I was at a charitable event with Adrian Peterson on Friday and uh, Alex Bregman was there as well. And, you know, we talked to Adrian Peterson about everything and and Drew Brees and all that, you know, of course, you know, Adrian Peterson is not going to dog Drew Brees, but it doesn't seem like anybody that knows him would try to convince you of anything other than him being a good guy. And so, while we can acknowledge that what he said was tone deaf and really lacked awareness, it seems that since then, since the, he's gotten the reaction that he's gotten, not just the PR hit and, you know, the public 
the public backlash, but it seems to have really affected him. I do think, I don't know how much he, I, I do not know how much Drew Brees cares about what the public thinks of him. It is clear that Drew Brees cares about what his teammates think about him and what his peers think about him, the guys in the Hall of Fame. He called Shannon Sharp personally to talk to him. You got to at least get a guy a little bit of credit for acknowledging a misstep and trying to right the wrong. The backlash blown way out of proportion when you start talking about like death threats or any kind of threats on his family. And that's absurd. The man is entitled to a bad opinion without like death threats or anything like that. I do think that the benefit from this is that people can now see that when you make the erroneous argument that this was about disrespecting the military or like your ancestors who fought for the country or anything like that, like this is the perfect example of someone getting dragged for like basically misrepresentation. That's what this was. That's what Drew Brees's crime was, for lack of a better term. But you know what? He seems like he seems to be the the eternal op- optimist. That's the sense that I get from him. I mean, he's over here like living in this utopia about how to flag about his granddaddies in the war that didn't ultimately didn't do anything for black people. He's over here like trying to talk sense into Donald Trump which it seemed like everybody gave up on a long time ago. He's over here trying to, like, he thinks that Donald Trump is redeemable. You can make the case that the world needs more people like Drew Brees. Given that they're able to adjust their views on things with more information and more insight, and more self-reflection. On the video that the players did, I thought it was really cool. I thought it was moving. I thought it was just cool to see how far the players had come. Like, I, I know the argument has been made that, like, you know, where were the players? Where were all these guys four years ago when Colin Kaepernick really needed them? And that's a valid argument. Like, I don't have anything for that. More of them should have been there. I'm not going to make out, like, there weren't plenty of them who were, but definitely more of them should have been there. And then you get the league's response. They co-sign it. You get Roger Goodell prompted by this, clearly, to go the extra mile and speak on it. Like It, it really was a victory, at least for the narrative. I don't know how much change, and I said this on the last podcast, I don't know how much change we're actually going to see. But the change that we have seen is at least in the conversation and how we talk about it. And I I just found it fascinating how a young white social media (laughs) content producer was able to make this happen. I mean, this aside from, you know, me being black and him being white, we're, we're peers in this social media content and like, just going a little bit of the extra mile and saying, Hey, you know, I'm gonna reach out to Michael Thomas. I don't like what the, what my employer is doing or how they're representing us themselves. 
what they're saying out here in the public space and I'm going to try to make a difference. I thought it was super cool. It actually reminded me of, when you get a chance, check out the New York Times. They have a piece about how there is this, you know, like this change in newsrooms across the country with millennial journalists and, and, and the folks even younger than that who have, you know, come up in this age of Ferguson, Michael Brown, now George Floyd and everything that's been happening across the country. And like just giving the middle finger to this idea that we're going to be objective about things that you don't need to be objective about. Like racism, police brutality, clear signs of it, clear indications of it. Those are not things to both sides on. Those are not things to hedge your bets on. Those are not things to be concerned with your brand about. Like if your brand is sympathetic to racism, your brand is weak. Your brand is not sustainable. And I think that's that's going to be the lesson of all of this. So good on the league, or I should say good on Roger Goodell for once, for actually listening to the players, good on the players for stepping out, and good for the NFL social media team and the people that you don't actually ever hear and see their faces and their names, but are actually in the background trying to make some changes around here. It's a really good look. Anyway, make sure y'all are subscribing to the B Block Podcast. We're on YouTube. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple. Like, rate, review. Tell your friends about it. And make sure you join us next time.